You're listening to Emmanuel Christian Center's podcast, Welcome Home. The Father's heart is for you and waiting with open arms. So get ready. God is on the move. Today's message title is Jesus is Better. Jesus is better. Now, I know none of you had any sibling rivalries growing up where there was this like tension of who was better than the other one, right? Like just like the constant back and forth, back and forth. It wasn't really a competition in my household. I was the oldest of three boys and my younger brother Steve was just more naturally like athletic. Like I would work my butt off to try and make a certain sports team. He was two years younger, showed up, made the exact same team. And so I, I'm like, well, I'm really good at talking. So maybe like, you know, people feel you got leadership in you. I go, so is that why my brother's starting over me? Or like, I don't understand. Like, is that like a Minnesota passive way of saying I'm not as good as he is? And there's always this struggle of like, who's better, 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 better. Uh, but that doesn't just stay within sibling rivalries. Right? I found that there's this tension we have when it comes to even product placement. So here, stay with me here for a moment. Uh, chances are, Memorial Day weekend, you'll probably have a restaurant that you like to go to, right? There's probably that spot that you already have a reservation for with your family. That's, you know, this is a go-to spot. And we've all been at that restaurant where you look at the menu and you're like, man, what's good? And there's a picture that just looks amazing, Right? It's a steak that looks like it's perfectly well done. Like, you're like, okay, or not, some of you are like, okay, well done steak. Phil, who are you? No, so I know you guys like it bleeding red, okay? Like, uh, but it might be a picture of a steak or a burger or a salad, like the way the water glistens off the leaf of the salad or the way, like, you're hungry and it just looks amazing and you order it and it comes out and you look at your, the company at the table, you go, what's this? And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, this looks nothing like the picture that I just had on the menu. I mean, we have that also, whether it's like something you're ordering off of Facebook Marketplace or Amazon, and you're like, oh, babe, this is gonna look great in the entryway. Like, oh, I should send a vision in, it's gonna fit right here, and like, you start dreaming, 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 the box gets there, and it's like the size. You're like, wait, 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 what's this? Oh, it's like a toy, it's a Playmobil couch, oh. I, I didn't even notice, like, I didn't check the specs, all the small print and all of that stuff. Or, you know, you get that with movie trailers and stuff like that. You watch the commercial, you go see the movie, and you realize that the best parts of the movie were in the commercial. <laughs> and there's these moments in life that there's some things that are just not as good as advertised. There's these things that uh, begin to inspire hope and expectation and anticipation that for us, we begin to think that this could be the best thing ever. This could be the best meal. This could make things better. And we realize it just wasn't as good as advertised. And friends, I'm here to tell you today, as you can probably already tell where we're leading into with this message, Jesus is better than you heard. That wherever you're at, even if you've been coming and growing up at church, I, Jesus is, what he has done is better than anything that we could ever do. What Jesus has done is better than anything we could ever imagine. Any podcast you can download, listen to, any book that we can uh, digest and regurgitate, any amount of tweets or content that we can digest, Jesus is better. But here, I share that because I think we would all agree with that. But the tension we wrestle with here today, through our lifestyle, choices, disciplines, and habits, we go, God is good, but is there better? Jesus, what he did, it's really good. But is it really the best? And we wrestle with this because once again, we can nod and agree on a Sunday morning or a midweek experience. But when we look back at our finances, 
or we look back at how we plan our weeks out and how we inf- uh, invest our time and energy and how we respond to moments of crisis in our, in our communities and our world around, we begin to really find out what's inside the cup when it gets tipped over. And we might say, Jesus is the best, Jesus is better, but internally is, we might be wrestling with, is there something else better? I mean, I saw this podcast, and you know, I mean, Gary Vee gave me these tips and these hacks and, and how to better like double my, my investment and all this stuff, and we begin to find ourselves chasing all these seven steps to this, four hacks to that, and we find ourselves at the spot like, is Jesus really better? Is Jesus really better? And so I would submit to you that, yes, God is better than you think. Jesus What he did is better than you can imagine, and this matters a lot to what we do today, what we have next week, and the lives that we choose to live for the months and years to come. And so in the text today, we find a person that I think wrestles with this in a manner that no matter what stage of life you find yourself in, whether you're a Gen Z sitting here, millennial on up, wherever you find yourself, retired, career, grandparent, parent, want to be a parent, wherever you're at, This tension is so real to every context and every space of life that we find ourselves in. And it's going to be found in Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 22. And as you're turning there, whether you're uh, following along with the notes on our Emmanuel app, or you got your paper Bible, uh, Mark chapter 17, verse 22, I'll be reading out of the New Living Translation today. Um, This book is found in the New Testament. Bible is broken up uh, into two sets, uh, old and new. If you are new to faith, the Old Testament is before Jesus came. New Testament is after Jesus showed up. If you are new to the Word of God, I would encourage you to step into the New Testament first to find out who Jesus is and begin to unpack who he is, because If you just start in the Old Testament and you don't know who Jesus is, it can get a little weird at first. So I'm going to encourage you to step into the New Testament. Um, The author of this, Mark, Mark was an action film type of guy. Like Mark probably would have had pre-tickets to Top Gun this weekend and would have been ready to see that. Um, But Mark just hops right into the text and he's a follower of Jesus and he has a very unique perspective of a situation that's happening with an influential uh, young man in their community. And this is where we pick it up in Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus asked. The only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Before verse 20, you know this, this young man, was, he was feeling himself. He was like, oh, I got this. I got this. Like, you have that, that look of like, not arrogance, but confidence, right? Like, oh, yeah, I, I knew. I knew what I had to do. Verse 20 pops in. The man replies, teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments, not just today, but since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Now, this is a key part because I think sometimes in this text when we read the story, we can miss that Jesus has compassion. There's a love that he has and a desire to see this individual become all that God has created him to be. Jesus' response is, there's still one thing that you have not done, he told them. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And at this man's, or at this, this man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. Now, I love this story because if you know Jesus and have and followed and read, been in the word, you understand that 
any type of situation that an individual could have approached him with, and Jesus is going to be able to identify and do a heart uh, uh, transplant, if you will, just identifying, oh, that's the obstacle. You know, like if somebody was to come in and it was their successes that Jesus was asking them to give up. Uh, in this story, we see it's the finances side, but there's all, there's all these different things that people can carry. But could you imagine with me for a moment, the disciples, as this man comes up, the scene because as you look through the historical context of this and many um, uh, people that have done uh, research on this text, they point back to this was a man of influence. So of today's standards, he had a blue check mark next to him on his social media account that he came into the room. People knew who he was, right? Like they knew who he was, he was and what he was about and what he possessed. So I can imagine there's some disciples here in this moment that are going back and forth like, Jesus, I'm done sleeping on the, the dirt road. Let this man come. He can, like, we can sleep nice tonight. This man's got resources. Like, let this man pay for our Airbnb, all right? Like, you know he's got property. We'll be just fine when we're going to all the different towns. He knows, like, it'll be good. And you have other people like, Jesus, we gave up everything. No, like, you can't, like, I gave up my fishing boat. I gave up my business. You, and, like, you, you know there is arguments. You know there is this debate going on back and forth, uh, whether it was insecurities were there followers of Jesus in that crowd that had triggers of going like, well, I know what I gave up. Is, is Jesus going to show him favoritism? Is Jesus going to let him uh, not give up as much as I had to give up? Like, how is Jesus going to respond to this? This is a person of influence. This is a person that's done everything perfect. I'm not perfect. And as humans do, we are real good at reciting the reasons we are not good enough. The insecurities begin pile up. Why we can't, why we aren't qualified. And so what did Jesus see though? It says that Jesus had genuine love, genuine love on this man because Jesus knew what he had was better than anything that this man could possess and he was just offering him invitation. So we have two keys that Pastor Ali and I are going to be unpacking here today. First one before I get ready to invite her up here is uh, Jesus wants commitment over a checklist. We see from the text Jesus is looking for commitment over a checklist. See, our commitment must be greater than our checklist. Um, I want to highlight something in the beginning of this story. Verse 17, it said, as Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running to him. Now, I don't know how often you have people running up to you. For me, where I grew up, like, if someone's running at you, I'm running away from them, okay? Like, it's not one of those, like, oh, Optimism, excitement. What, what are they so excited to be running towards me with, right? Like, I would challenge you, like, if somebody's running towards you, run to them. Like, see how they respond, right, in that moment. Like, like running takes commitment, y'all. Like, we, uh, we had about almost 40 people from our, our surrounding locations yesterday took part in this uh, run. It's called 30 for Freedom. It's a, a mission to end human trafficking in our lifetime. And uh, it was a commitment. Running was not a checklist item, right? Like, running was not like... Oh, ran a couple miles. Check. <laughs> like, it, it was one of those, there was a commitment over time to continue to put in the work for this. Now, you see in verse 20, this man had a checklist. He's saying, Jesus, what must I do? Right? There's an internal perspective of looking like, Jesus, I want to be right. I want to, and like, there's good intentions here. Let's give the guy some credit, right? He wanted, he's like, what must I do? And Jesus recites it, and I almost, I don't know, my checklist people here, I got, I'm a little petty when it comes to checklists. I'll turn up the volume on my computer when I'm getting ready to check off a, a checklist item, just so I can hear, ding, I'm like, oh, good job, Phil. You, 
Sometimes you just put things on the checklist. You're like, oh, it wasn't a productive day. It wasn't a productive day. Check. <laughs> I did it, guys. I've arrived. And you see this man. He's unpacking this navigating of a checklist mentality. And it's like one thing after another. And it's interesting, though, how quickly human commitment can become a checklist item when we forget the why we are doing what we are doing. It's so interesting to see when you look back at something that was a commitment made out of passion, whether like, man, this is something I want to do, this is something I want to see change, where it became a checklist item when we forgot the why we are doing what we are doing. And I think if I'm looking back, and once again, this is not in our text, but if I'm looking back at this young man, if I know humans the way that I do in the 34 years that I've been on this planet, I could imagine that there was an initial excitement to follow the commands of God, that there was a commitment. But at one point, it begins to become checklist that if we don't understand and really capture the why we are doing this, we become addicted to progress. I see this right now with my yard work right now. I pull a few weeds out, and I just want to keep going, right? Like It's like you see the progress. We become addicted to progress. We become more focused on what we are doing than the why. Now, we see this. Jesus was looking for commitment, not perfection. He was looking for commitment. We see this throughout the, the New Testament. Jesus is speaking this. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. We sang a song that repli- or was uh, reminiscent of this verse. It said, Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my followers, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? John chapter 14, verse 15, 21 and 23, he says, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. You see that there's this, uh, this invitation to a commitment. Now, it's something interesting to note with Jesus. He gave the same invitation to this young man that he had gave his disciples. He didn't water it down. He didn't say, oh, you're a person of resource and influence. I'm going to lessen this so you can keep that which is closest to you. Jesus gave the same invitation, drop blank and come follow me. He didn't ask or give a different invitation just because he had money, but he saw the thing that would keep him from following him. And he said the same thing. You go back and look at all the different disciples. When Jesus gave him the invitation, it was the thing that mattered most to them. Are you willing to drop blank to come and follow me? The same invitation. The second note, Jesus was not asking this man to for something that Jesus himself was not going to do. You see, Jesus knew where his destination was. That was the cross. It was the empty grave. You see, the reality is we don't get what we paid for, but we get what Jesus paid for. We get hope, freedom, peace. And you can begin to see this all throughout Scripture. Um, there's a story that uh, we're going we're gonna to hear from uh, a 180 from one of our students, Becca Hansen, who shares a phenomenal story of just how she wrestled with one of these things that she tried to cling on to. And, and the story of what Jesus was doing in her life and just this belief that, Jesus, you are better than anything that I've believed, anything that I could imagine. So check out this 180 story from one of our students, Becca Hansen. Okay. (laughs) I started restricting my food in early of 2021. It started with comparison. I started comparing my personality, my body, and my talents to the people around me. 
When I started to lose weight, it felt good because I thought I had control over what was going on. I thought I could control the way others saw me through my weight. During this season, I continued to go to church because I thought I was supposed to. I had gone my whole life and people expected me to be there, so I went. But it became something I had to do, and I became really fake. I started going just to respond to messages and talk in connect groups like I thought I was supposed to, but then I would go home and forget all about it. As my restrictions got worse, I started to become angry with God. It felt like the faith that worked for so many people around me was completely failing me. I cried out to him over and over, but he never answered. I felt so alone and scared, and I thought that if other people knew what I was doing to myself, they would judge me, or even worse, they would try to fix me. So I convinced myself that I was strong enough to handle it on my own, that I didn't need God and I knew what was best, but I didn't realize how dangerous it was to hold on to an eating disorder. I only went to summer camp because I thought I had to, but I was so angry towards God and myself, and the feeling of Eating every meal around other people terrified me. I almost didn't go, but I'm so glad that I did. The first night we got there, I was sitting in worship at the front, faking it like normal. I was doing everything I thought I was supposed to do, but I was so bitter. And then I felt God reach back out to me. Suddenly I could feel how much He loved me, and I knew that I wasn't alone. It felt like the rope that had been strangling me was completely cut off. I knew inwardly that I was healed. Because I had been restricting my food for so long, my body didn't know how to handle food when I ate normally. So I became nauseous at even the thought of eating. But that night during worship, I went back to my seat, found a granola bar and ate it. <laughs> and I could feel that even the presence of God removed any fear of eating, and all the physical symptoms of my eating disorder were completely healed. It's been a long journey to recovery for me, and there are still days where I struggle with the thoughts that my disordered eating left behind. But on those days, I can look back to the moment when God found me, alone, scared, and bitter, and He loved me. The moments where I thought he didn't care, he knew better and he was watching out for me, sending people who loved me when I couldn't see him. And now I get to be that person for other people. I get to see people who are struggling with disordered eating and share my story and let them know how loved they are. I know that God is still working in me and healing me and I know that he is so much better. What a powerful story. I love seeing God move in the heart of this next generation. It is an honor to be with you today, to get the privilege to speak with you all this morning, to pick up right where Pastor Phil left off as we've been unpacking the story of Mark chapter 10 and this rich young ruler and how God really desires us to have better. See, if I were to be honest with you, this is one of those stories in scripture that as I read through it, I kind of find myself skimming over it. Like, I just like want to skip it. I'm reading it and I'm like, oh yeah, that's really good. You, you should have followed him, bad move, you know? And you just want to get to the miracles and the healings because I think I know I'm terrified and I don't know if you feel the same way that if you were to actually pause and lean into this story and ask God, what are you speaking to me through this? 
Like, what might this story mean for me? Like, what might God be asking me to give up? What might be holding me back from wholeheartedly following Jesus? What might this story mean for me? Something you need to know about me is that I, my fatal flaw is that I'm a huge Vikings fan. For some reason, I just love them, even though they always let me down. But something I love is me and my dad, we go to a Minnesota Vikings game every year for my birthday. And this past year, we went to the game where they played the Pittsburgh Steelers, and we got in our seats and we were ready to go, and then the worst thing that could possibly happen, happened. A big old family comes and they sit right in front of us, and they are head to toe covered in Pittsburgh Steelers gear. They even have their terrible towels. Like, they were all in this family was. And I'm like, oh no, you know? And the game's going, and of course, the first half, the Vikings are doing great per usual. And the second half, the Vi there's nothing happened for the Vikings. So this family, they start really believing, right? Because all that's happening is the Steelers are scoring. And so they're screaming, whipping their towel in my face. And I'm just like, I need to get out of here. This is the worst. This family truly believed they were going to win. And all of a sudden, there's two minutes left in the game. And the Vikings score, and they pull ahead by a little bit. And all of a sudden, this family, they get up and start leaving. And I'm like, Dad, do they know who they're playing? Like, they really should probably stick around. And my dad, who doesn't do this usually, he stops the family. And he goes, hey, guys, um, like, you probably don't want to leave yet. Like, you, you know who you're playing, the Vikings. And this family kind of shrugged it off, and they left. And I thought this was so interesting because I think it perfectly captures the human condition. That when everything's going great, it's really easy to be all in. It's really easy to believe. But the minute something that you don't like happens, when things take a turn for the worse, something you weren't expecting, it truly exposes if you're all in or not. It truly exposes what you believe to be true. It exposes your doubts. And in essence, this is exactly what's happening in the story of the rich young ruler. Think about it. Yesterday, everything's going great. He's got money, status. He believes in God. On the outside, it looks great. But after one conversation with Jesus, one moment in his eyes, things take a turn for the worst. Jesus catches him off guard, asking him to do something that he was not expecting Jesus to ask him to do. And in this moment of testing, in this very moment, his true beliefs about who God is will be exposed. And in our greatest moments of testing, and when things happen that we don't expect, it truly exposes what we believe to be true about who God is. It exposes if we're really all in on this Jesus thing or not. And within this story, there's really two core beliefs that are being tested in this man's heart. And the first one is this. Is God really that good? If I were him, I'd think, Jesus, this doesn't feel very good. Imagine Jesus asked you to do this. Your first response was, oh, this feels great. Like, that would not be most of our responses. This doesn't feel good, Jesus. Everything, all my possessions you want, all of it? Jesus, I don't know, that doesn't feel good. And maybe you've said similar words like, God, if you were really good, you wouldn't have let this happen. God, if you were really good, you wouldn't take this away from me. God, if you were really good, you wouldn't ask me to do this. 
And what we learn from the story is that if our definition of good is based on how things make us feel and how things affect us, then we will always find ourselves doubting God's goodness. You see this idea that God is good, it's really woven into the story from the very beginning. In verse 18, this whole conversation starts by Jesus making such an important statement to this story. He says, only God is truly good. And he says this to set up the rest of the moments to come, why? Because if God is the only one that's good, that means that you are not good. That means that you actually don't know what's best for you. Think about it. You don't know what's best for you because only God is truly good. In Romans 12, chapter two, it says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. And what we see from this passage is that God's will for you, not your will, not your dream, not your way, not your plan, God's will for you is good. It's pleasing and it's perfect. God's will for you, his way, is exactly what you need. So what does good actually mean? All right, if I'm gonna say yes to this, Jesus, where is this leading me? Because I know it's not necessarily gonna feel good at first or seem what I desire. And we see from this story to God, good means that Jesus will receive glory. Think about this story. If he would have actually obeyed, this would have shook the whole town. He gave everything he had. I wonder how many people would have came to faith through this man's obedience. I wonder how much glory Jesus would have received. This is good when Jesus receives glory. You see, to God, good also means that we will receive intimacy with him. Think about it. This man, Jesus offered him. He said, hey, come and follow me. The most intimate invitation that you could ever receive to walk step by step with Jesus every day. Good means that we go deeper in intimacy with Jesus. And so if this is what good is, then God must truly be good. See, so you can trust Jesus when he asks you to do something, when he asks you to sacrifice something, when he asks you to follow his will and his way, because this is where it's leading you, to good. This definition of good. You see, you exist not to have a great life in the eyes of the world, to have status, the comfort, the money, the wealth. You exist to bring Jesus glory. You exist to walk intimately with him daily. So this is the crazy part. This man in the store was exactly where he was supposed to be. He was doing the very thing that he was created to do, but he walked away because even though he said God was good, he didn't actually believe it. He thought he knew what was best for him, and he ended up walking away from his very purpose. You see, the second belief that we see in this story that's being tested in this man's heart is this. Does Jesus really love me? If I was this man, I'd be thinking about the worst case scenario, like I'm gonna end up broke, I'm gonna end up homeless, I'm gonna have nothing. Jesus, you are cruel for asking me to do this. 
If I do this, this is gonna hurt me. This is going to break me. Jesus, if you really love me, you wouldn't take that away. If you really love me, you wouldn't have had me walk through this. And what we see from this story is that all along, Jesus' desire for this man was always to bless him, not to break him. In verse 21, it says that Jesus showed genuine love for him. Just because you are experiencing testing, walking through something that you didn't expect, it does not mean that Jesus loves you any less. Maybe he's just trying to lead you to better. Maybe he's just trying to give you something better. Maybe he's trying to give you a heavenly treasure in place of your earthly treasure that will soon fade away. I love what it says about this in John chapter 10, 10. It says this. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose, Jesus talking here, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. This Jesus, he loves you, and this is his heart for you. This is where he's leading you. When you trust him, he's not trying to destroy you, break you down, hurt you. He's trying to bless you because he loves you. I remember my greatest moment of testing where my true beliefs really were exposed. My whole life, I dreamed of going to the University of Minnesota. For some reason, I just wanted to go to a really big university. And I did really good in school to be able to get the grades to get into the U. And I remember, and I wanted to be an engineer. And so I got into the engineering program at the university and, and I was doing my first year and I had a heart to be a biomedical engineer. That was the plan that I had for myself. And at the end of my first year, I, I was at Medtronic right down the road and I'm walking around and we're uh, looking for um, internships and doing a site visit. And all the other kids are so excited looking at everything. And I remember standing in the lobby feeling sick to my stomach because something in me knew I was not where I was supposed to be. And in my heart in that moment, I felt Jesus ask me to give up everything and to go into ministry. And I remember thinking about it and I'm like, I don't know, I didn't tell anybody because I'm like, if I do this, this might actually break me. Leaving, Jesus, do you know how hard I worked for this? I, I, this has been my dream forever. What would people say if I actually do this? Jesus, why are you asking me to do this? And in that moment, I had to decide, was I gonna follow my plan, my dreams, my desires, or was I gonna believe that God's will for me, his dream for me, his plan for me was truly better? Was I gonna believe that there was blessing on the other side of my trusting? Could I trust him because I knew he was good and knew what was best for me? Could I trust him because I knew he loved me and was trying to bless me? And I said, it was the hardest yes I have ever said to him. But it has led me to this moment with you here today. It's led me to only blessings. Every week I get to see middle school students find Jesus. And it's my greatest passion, my greatest love to see other people know Jesus. And I'm walking in my passion. I've seen greater intimacy with Jesus in my own life. I've experienced his love in a whole new way. And it's crazy because Jesus knew what I needed before I did. And I'm so glad that I did not base my obedience on how I was feeling. You see, there's a question I believe God is leading all of us to this morning. It's this, what is the one thing you haven't done? 
It's the same statement that he made to this man in Mark chapter 10. And the heart of this question is not asking you to give everything you have away, so don't worry. The heart of this question is asking you to give up control. So maybe a better way to phrase this question is, what's the one thing you still haven't given Jesus control over? And we have a hard time with control because we have this fear that if I were to actually give this to Jesus, there's a chance he could take it away. If I actually give this to Jesus, this might not go the way that I want it to. So I'd rather keep it because then I have a better chance of controlling how this is gonna end. You see, for the man in the story, it was control over his money. For Becca, it was control over her lifestyle and her body. And for me, it was control over my dreams. So I would say, what is it for you? What's the one thing you haven't given Jesus control over? Maybe for you, it's a relationship. Someone that you really love and you're terrified. You'll give Jesus everything else, but not this person. Why? Because I know there's a chance if I do, he could take them away from me. Maybe for you, it's a job, and this job gives you money, gives you security, and you really like it, and you're scared. If I give this to Jesus, there's a chance he could take it away from me and lead me somewhere else, and I don't know if we can do that. I don't know if my family can handle that. Maybe for you, it's your kids, and you think you know what's best for them, and you have this plan laid out, and you just say, I don't know if I can give it to you, Jesus, because what if your plan's different? What if, it, what if you want to lead them somewhere else that I don't know if I can do that? Maybe for you, it's a sin pattern, a lifestyle habit you know doesn't align with what Jesus says in his word. And you're thinking, but man, if I give this to him, if he takes it away, that's going to change my life. How's that going to affect my relationships and my life dynamics? And, and that's going to change too much, and I don't want that. I don't think I can actually give up control of this. But let me tell you this today, whatever that one thing is for you, it's competing with Jesus for your heart. Whatever that one thing is, it's filling a need in you that Jesus should be filling. And worst of all, whatever it is, it's stopping you from wholeheartedly following Jesus. So what do we do? What do we do with this one thing we're terrified to give up control over? Well, Jesus, he showed us the way like he always does as he is going to the cross to suffer and die a death for us, to pay for our sins. And in Luke 22:42, it says this, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. And this is the hardest part. This is the first step. This is what surrender looks like. It's a simple prayer. It's taking in your hands what you love most, what you think you need most, what you are terrified of losing and giving in control over what you think is best. And it's saying here, Jesus, you can have this. I want this. I'm, I don't know if you're willing to let me keep it, but I'm giving you control over this. And I'm saying not my will, but yours be done. Because I believe that you're better. I believe you're good. I believe you know what's best for me even when I don't. And I believe that you love me and you want what's best for me, and you want to bless me, not to break me. You see, at some point, this rich young ruler will be the rich old ruler, and he'll still have his money and his possessions and his wealth, but it still won't be enough. He'll still be missing something. You see, that job that you loved, it really wasn't that great. All the money you had still left you feeling empty. That dream you chased after, it really didn't go as planned. 
That relationship you clung to, it really didn't fill you. That marriage you thought you needed really left you needing more. That sin you couldn't give up really led you to so much more pain. And all along, the only thing you ever needed, the only thing that ever mattered was Jesus. And you walked away from him. So I've come here today to tell you this, that your sacrifice is worth it. Surrender is worth it. Giving in control is worth it. Leaving everything to follow Jesus is so worth it because he is better. You guys can all stand on your feet with me this morning. And what we're gonna do is we're gonna go back into this song, uh, Give Me Jesus, which in essence is basically the story of this whole message. And what I want you all to do right now is just open your hands like this as a sign of showing God, God, I just want, I'm open to what you wanna do. I'm not gonna run, I'm not gonna skim it over, I'm not gonna skip past this. And during the song, allow God to speak to you, to show you that one thing in your heart that you haven't given him yet. And as he does, pray that he give you the faith to pray this simple prayer, not my will but yours be done. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your sacrifice, God. We thank you that you love us and you know what's best. Father God, I pray for everyone in this room today, God, that we would not run away from the things that you're trying to point out in us, but God, that you would reveal to our hearts, God, that one thing that's keeping us from full-heartedly pursuing you. And God, I pray that you would give us the strength and the faith, God, to pray the prayer of surrender, God, not my will, but yours be done. Father God, would you have your way in our hearts today? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you for joining us. We pray that you are encouraged and blessed by today's message. Check out emmanuelcc.org for faith resources, how to get plugged into the community, or join us live on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. We are so excited to see what God is going to do. The best is yet to come.